Good people, it's attorney Christian Wise Smith running to be your next attorney general, and I'm in apartments with my brother, Pale. Wise up, vote, let's go. Hey, Pale. Meet me at the apartment. <laughs> Yo, it's your boy, Pale, and we're in the apartment with Pale. Meet me in the apartments. Listen, I love my city. Only thing I love more than Atlanta is the west side of Atlanta. Shout out to Bankhead, rich, easy, shot low. Rest easy, buddy, a.k.a. We Fly. Listen, man, do it for a purpose or don't do it at all. You know what I'm saying? Do it for a purpose or don't do it at all. If you don't have a reason why you're doing something, there should be no reason why you should be doing it. And if you're doing something, you should have a purpose for it. You know what I'm saying? And if, you don't, and if you're doing something and you don't understand your purpose, you got to sit back and ask yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? What reason am I doing what I'm doing? And whatever that reason is, you got to lock into that reason. And that reason is going to become your drive. It's going to become your new ambition. It's going to become your focus. And that's how you continue to chase the grind. That's what's going to make you keep going in a time when stuff starts slowing up and it's looking bad. You're meeting these roadblocks. And, it, and, it, and it's hard to overcome these, these hurdles and these obstacles in front of you. This is what's going to help you. You know what I'm saying? And me, I just always look at, where I'm from and the situation I done been in and everything I done been through, I look at that continuously as I'm starting to, as I, well, not starting to, as I was moving to my career. That kept me humble. It, that kept me like, don't get like this now because, listen, there's some there's people over here. Now they, they live in a whole type of different way now. Remember this when you was over here going through this now. Remember when you were starving, you were eating this now. Remember when you couldn't get no food now. And them thoughts right there is what helped me stay humble, even when I'm doing. Them thoughts right there is what give me my drive to say, you know what, I ain't going back to that no more. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm saying. You have to find a focus. You have to lock on into it, and you have to become that. You know what I'm saying? And with my next guest here, um, with me meeting him and us becoming um, friends and the road that we have both been on and the path that we have chosen for ourselves to bring us together and um, – in two different but similar lifestyles to bring us parallel together to be on this journey that we're doing now. I feel like he has had a focus, and that focus has made him create this drive that he's doing. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's a person that really opened my eyes into uh, politics, how the justice system go, um, um, the rights, the wrong. Um, a person who is really about what he talks about. He really says what he does. Um, he speaks from his heart. And I'm going to tell you like this, when you get politicians, you, they don't speak from their heart. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's when you've got people like that who don't speak from the heart, it's always hard to gauge them. But when you got somebody who speaks from the heart, who's direct, it's, it's, it's easy to understand who they are and to put your all into what they got going on and to really believe in what they're saying and what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Um, so i like to welcome um, Midwest Native, but a, but a but a, a, a landing in it. Uh, is, is that, is that like yeah. ATLian? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? ATLian. You know what I'm saying? No, came down here, did great things for our community, for our streets, for our judicial system, and still doing great things for the people now and speaking and really trying to put the people on his back. You know what I'm saying? A great friend of mine. He's a uh, he's a mentor of mine too because I call him asking a lot of stuff about a lot of things. Great friend of mine, Chris Y. Smith. <laughs> And before we get started, I gotta do something. I gotta show my appreciation for you and your wife. I gotta give you your flowers. I gotta say thank you. You already kind of led up to it a little bit. How we came together was just, it was nothing but God. So I wanted to, on your show, for all your viewers to see uh, how genuine it is, my, my love and my appreciation for you and your wife. So I got you a little something. Okay. To, so you have a career where you've made history. You know, you've gotten plaques uh, from, from where you started, west side of Atlanta, uh, coming from Bankhead. You overcame tremendous odds to do what you've done in the music career. But you and I have also made history that I want people to know about. Uh, Atlanta is the home of the civil rights movement. I think everybody knows that. Uh, we've had a lot of legends, a lot of leaders, you know, Martin Luther King, C.T. Vivian, Andy Young, the list goes on and on. Uh, but even back in those days to now, 
no one has ever organized and led a peaceful protest march on the west side, nah. and specifically down Bankhead. Down you and Bankhead. I did that on June Fact. 8th, 2020. Fact. So to commemorate that, Fact. I got nah, I put together this for you. Nah, that's too hard, man. With some pictures from that's it. Too hard, man. It's kind of like your plaque for making yeah. history with you know the description and yeah, the date. So my brother, thank you. Man, that's for thank you. you man. And hey, then, man, look, man, classic, man. See b- groundbreaking barriers, man. That's what you're supposed to do, man. You get with people and you keep growing, man. I want to say thank you, dog. You know what I'm saying? Nah, it's hard, dog. I'm really speechless. You know what I'm saying? I can't wait to hang this up. And I, I can't wait to hang this up. And I got to say this, too. You know, my wife is my rock. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that I'm able to do and, and to be confident and be bold is because I know I got somebody with me who's giving me everything I need to make it happen. And your wife is that for you. And what I love about you and your wife is you guys are a really, really dope, positive image of what black families should look like, what black love should look, should look like. And I know we live in this culture nowadays where that's not really celebrated. The black family has been attacked for decades, and you guys, I think, are a great symbol of it. So I couldn't leave your wife out. I just got her there talking of appreciation as well. Nisha. Thank you for being a good friend to me, and thank you for being his rock. Yeah, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah, man. I want to say thank you. Well, why we, why we, well, why we giving out shit? Why we passing out <laughs> shit, shit? And I don't even do this because they pay me for it. But by this being my good friend, hey. I had to do this for him. And he, he know when I say mid rest raise, then my dog is from Ohio. You know what I'm saying? Cincinnati, the Cincinnati, the big Zach. And you know, stand up. my wife is from Detroit, and they have this battle Boo. about these chips all the time. <laughs> better made grippos. Nah. Better made grippos. So I had to swing through, man. I came through, had to come get my dogs a grippos. Thank you. I know you. they ain't got none in the South. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Now I know they ain't got grippos none in the South. Grippos on my endorsement deal. I'm holding it down in Atlanta for Cincinnati. Grippos, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, yeah, thank you, man. man. Nah, thank you welcome, dog. You're welcome, dog. You're welcome, dog. So now listen, we here. We're here to listen to your story. You know what I'm saying? Um, but one more bigger and important reason that I feel like this is in it is what we should be making the focus is that you're running for Georgia Attorney General, right? Yes, sir. And I think that this is important to our community and what we're doing. Because it's kind of like, what's the word when you you see something again, when you think you haven't seen it before? Deja vu. Deja vu, vu. It's it's almost like deja vu, all right? Because the first time, like from the plaque, which you said, we let the march on Bankhead, I had been... I had them been three days into politics. <laughs> yeah. I had them been three days into politics, only three days. You know what I'm saying? And I, I started to learn all these things that I'm starting to learn now. And when I learned it, and I'm telling everybody what's going on, how we need to do, how it's going to help the community, how it's going to help us, how we take these things and how we make change. People listen, but they didn't, they didn't take heed to their advice. Yeah. So I feel like now I just want to make sure that I continue to give them that knowledge and let them understand how it helped us and hoping that this time they take heed so we don't have to have another deja vu moment. You know what I'm saying? So, But before we get to that, let's start back and let's lead up to how we even got to this point okay. right here. Yeah. On the show, I always like to start back and talk about um, how you was raised and where you from preteen because I feel like as a kid, that's when you're starting to form what things are. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, your parents, your environment, and the things that you see plays a part in the things that go on your mind as a kid, preteen. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. Them thoughts are the thoughts that lead you into your teenage years. And your teenage years is usually the years where you say, now it's time for me to experiment some of these things that I've been seeing and viewing. You know what I'm saying? That all that makeup always dictates nine times out of ten the type of person that you're going to be the rest of your life. Yeah. 
So I feel like if we understand where a person comes from and why they feel and think the way they do, we understand their why. And if we understand their why, it helps us to understand their purpose and what they're doing right now and what they're doing in, in, in their in they walk of life. Definitely. You know what I'm saying? So let's start back to where you're from and, um, and um, the side of town you grew up on where you in Cincinnati. So from Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, originally when I was born, we lived in a neighborhood called Avondale, or up there we call it A1. It's right by the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, but I only lived there for a little bit when I was a baby. We moved to College Hill. It's kind of like on the, the, the west side of Cincinnati almost, before you get to the real west side. And growing up there, uh, I just remember my mom struggling. I remember my entire family struggling. And when I think back on my earliest childhood memory, when I think back as far as I can remember to think back, the first thing that pops into my head is seeing my mom being taken away in front of me by police officers, her getting arrested. And I was about five years old. You know, I don't, especially at that time, you know, I didn't know the why or I didn't know what was going on. I just remember a lot of the folks who lived in our apartment building being outside, it being a lot of commotion. Uh, I remember what my mom had on that day. She had on some pink sweatpants, like a sweatshirt with like the Queen Nefertiti kind of step and repeat kind of just all the designs on it. And I remember these two teenage girls from the apartment complex like coming to get me and hang out with me until my grandmother got there. And it just it kind of went from there. Like I, I was with my grandmother one time. Uh, she left us in the car, me and some of my cousins. She said, I'll be right back. She goes inside the store. It's summertime. It's hot. She had a green Buick, green leather seat, so our skin sticking to the seats. Uh, and it felt like forever went by. Then these two police officers in plain clothes, they came up to the car. It's like, hey, you know, are you Johnny May's grandkids? And, you know, we kids. We strangers. We get kind of nervous, get scared. But they show their guns and their badges and say, hey, your grandmother's inside. We need you guys to come with us. And when we go inside... You know, they got her stripped down to her underwear, sitting on a, a seat or a stool like this, handcuffed. And I remember her just looking at me only and telling me, you'll be different. But as a kid, I didn't, that didn't mean anything to me at that point. But as I got older and older, it stuck with me. Because I would see throughout my childhood, you know, my mom struggles with a mental health disability. Uh, and, and I would see her get arrested a few more times. I would see uh, my uncle serving a life sentence for murder right now. We would go see him in prison. I would see one of my uncles, Keith Wise, who passed away back in 2007, struggle with uh, addiction. He was a crackhead, you know, not sugarcoating it, and see him commit crime and crime and crime to support his habit. And I would see, you know, a lot of my cousins and my friends uh, constantly going through the system. And so, like you alluded to, when you grow up seeing that, that's what you think you are. And I remember I thought success was the dope boys. Like, to this day, like, right now, I'm wearing Air Max. Like, I don't wear Jordans. I only wear Air Max because I saw the dope boys in my neighborhood wearing Air Max. And to me, I'm like, I want some Air Max yeah, one day. Yeah, them the shoes to look up to. They had the cars with the rims, they, you know, the jewelry, all of that. So that's what I thought success was back then. But then that's the reality of struggle. You know, I started working when I was 12. I paid my mama rent for the first time when I was 15. And then just that struggle of trying to figure out how to contribute or figure out how to survive. You know, I, I sold stolen clothes out of the trunk of my car. I, I remember having the money in my hands ready to go buy a quarter pound of weed. I was going to break it down into dime bags and, and move it. Not because... I wanted to, but because I thought I had to. I thought that's that was my only option to survive at that point. But thankfully, it was a, a black police officer, actually, William Dean Sr. Uh, I played football, played quarterback. His son was on the team. His son is one of my best friends. And most of my friends growing up, we were all raised by single mothers. But uh, Scott and, and Coach Dean was a single dad. So he would open up his home to us. We called it the back cave. It was our, our safe haven. You know, he would rather us be at his house doing whatever we was going to do versus that being side. out in the streets. Mm -hmm. And so one day he pulled me to the side and said, hey, man, you know, I see some leadership, ability, and potential in you, and I think you can be a lot better than 
everything that's going on out here. Because at that time, my mom had lost custody of me. I just got kicked out of school, and I was about to start trapping. And then it was Coach Dean or Officer Dean pulling me to the side, you know, planting that seed in me. And I was like, you know what? Let me try this school thing. Let me try something different. Because right now I'm doing what I see everybody else doing. And that's going to get me the same results that it's got everybody else. So I barely graduated. My, my GPA coming out of high school was a 1.86. I remember uh, Big Boy on, on the movie ATL said, I graduated with a 3.68. Like, you just remember your GPA sometimes. Um, got into one college, Central State University, HBCU in Ohio. Went there, balled out, transferred to Ohio University, a Division One school. You know, trying to still trying to play football at the time. It didn't work out. Uh, got a master's degree after that. Then went to law school after that, and now we're here. What made you? What made you? What did you go to college for at first? Initially, I didn't know. Like initially, it was being in management. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was business and econ. Like that was because I was like, okay, if if I'm a, if the goal is to get a college degree to figure out how to make money, let me major in business. Um, but when I transferred to Ohio University, uh, one thing my grandmother also told me when I was a kid, she used to always call me doctor. Like, what's up, Doctor Wise? Like, one day you're gonna be a doctor. Again, she she was planting those seeds that as a kid I didn't know what what she was doing. So I thought that I wanted to be a doctor at one point. After I realized that I, I don't have the stomach to look at blood and guts all day, I can't, I can't do that. So I transferred to Ohio University, and they had a major uh, healthcare administration. And I figured that that was a way to get me on the business side of, of healthcare, to be able to go into communities and help people, I guess on a bigger scale, where I would say doctors help people more one-on-one. Boom. Okay, so now, so now you transition from from taking that focus, and now you're saying, okay, let me change to this. Now let me start getting into this this lawyer stuff. Yeah. When you, when you said that, was it the goal still to just learn the system, or did you say I want to be a lawyer or I want to be a doctor at law? So, I got another story that's important for me to tell. So, my senior year of undergrad. We had, to, being a healthcare administration major, we had to do an internship in the hospital, and I knew I wanted to move to the A. Like, growing up, this was the only place we really came as a kid because I had family here. We had a free place to stay. So I spent a lot of time here, spring break, summertime, stuff like that. So my school didn't have any relationships with hospitals here because my school is in Ohio. So I'm cold calling, emailing, trying to get whoever I can get. The CEO of Grady back in 2005 was a guy named uh, Dr. Andy Aguinobi. I called him, and he picked up, to my surprise. And he said, all right, man, I want you to talk to this dude named Mark Racky. He'll try to help you get an internship. I'm calling Mark every day, not getting an answer, getting his assistant. And so it's coming down to the wire. I borrowed a friend's car, drove down here, showed up March 11, 2005 police cars everywhere, news vans everywhere. I'm dressed like this, driving two miles an hour. I don't know where I'm going. Police, full riot gear, the helmets, AR-15, stopped the car, pulled me out the car at gunpoint. I'm like, yo, what I do? I'm looking for an internship. They, they pat me down. Let me see your ID. Car got Ohio plates, got Ohio license. They never tell me what I did. They never tell me why they stopped me. They're just like, all right, get out of here. I find out once I get inside the hospital Brian Nichols had just happened. Brian Nichols killed the judge. The court reporter went on the man, or he fled this manhunt for, for him. I fit the description, right? They, they think I'm Brian Nichols. So I tell that story in answering your question about you know, my wife for wanting to be a lawyer, you know, having the snippet you just heard of, of my childhood and how I grew up, like that incident and, and some other incidents that happened to me growing up dealing with police, um, uh, again, it, it was another friend who said, hey, man, I think you should be a lawyer one day. You'll be good at it. And w when I started thinking about why, I said, you know what? I'm going to go to law school so I can be the difference one day. Just for one, I want one black man to go to college instead of going to prison because I'm a lawyer. 
So that was my why in terms of why I decided decided to to make that change uh, to go to law school. How many of you don't help? I can't remember. A lot of them. Can't remember. And I, I, I be, I've, I've been at Chick-fil-A before, and the person behind the counter, you kept me out of jail. You you helped me get this job. You helped me get back on track. I've been in, in Walmart. I've been in the post office. I've it, been, it, happened at the, it happened at the Marjorie Bankhead. The girl said, do you remember you don't remember me? You was like, no, nah, I don't really remember you. She was like, you helped, you helped me uh, not get arrested two times. I think she said it two times. You helped me two times. Yeah. One time, one time. Then she said the second time she was pregnant, I think. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the difference, so the reason you're why you got into it, you're definitely serving that purpose. And I think that you being on that path, serving that purpose, and, and, and being, and being, I don't want to say like sent for it, but being um, compelled to, to, to do these things have, have led you to a bigger calling. To do this, to do that, on a bigger scale. The the full circle moment for me was it started in 2013. This is my first year as a prosecutor, and before I took a job as a prosecutor, I talked to one of my cousins. Uh, he's a rapper, Lantana. Uh, he served four years from my age 19 to 23, and I remember having a conversation with him about you know my family. We knew the justice system from the defense table, not the other side. Like, what you think about me taking this job? It's like, man, take it because you can relate to everybody coming through those doors, and you will be able to help the, the ones you can help. You can't help everybody, uh-huh. you know. Some some crimes, some offenses are beyond saving. But he was like, you gonna be able to help so many people if you take this job because you won't be looking at them like numbers. You'll be looking at them like people. Twenty thirteen, I get a seventeen year old kid arrested for weed. It feels like I'm looking in the mirror of myself when I was that age. And I remember saying, you know, where do you see yourself in 10 years? He said, I mean, I want to be in the NFL. I'm like, bro, I wanted to play in the league. You know, all my friends that I get it. When, when you come up in the hood, one of the ways we think we can make it is sports or entertainment. So I said, well, give me something foundational that can never be taken from you. He said, well, you know, maybe something in communications. So I went in front of the judge and I said, hey, judge, I want him to improve his GPA, you know, invest in himself, prove to himself he wants the, the life he says he wants. I want him to do some community service, go help somebody else like how I'm helping him right now. I want him to take a class on drugs, what using drugs can do what to yourself and what selling drugs can do to communities. And if he does all those three, those three things, then I'll dismiss his case. Because he didn't know, and most kids don't know, if you get convicted of a drug charge, you can't get federal money for school. You can't get financial aid. You won't get a scholarship that comes from the feds if you got any drug conviction. Mm. So at that point, now, I had his attention. His mom was there with him. I had her attention. And so I said, Judge, bring him back in 30, 60, and 90 days so we can check off. He's doing everything, and we'll throw it out. And the truth is, I moved on, you know, had a ton of more cases, a ton of more people. Like like we said, it's so many people have come before. I, I don't remember everybody. His mom emails me the next year in 2014, said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but last year you helped my son out, and I wanted to let you know I wasn't in vain. He's at a junior college in Oklahoma, doing great in the classroom, doing great on the football field, and I just wanted to tell you thank you for helping my son. I broke down and cried in my office when I saw that. Because in my head, I'm thinking, my why, this could be it. The next year, she called and said, hey, he transferred to the University of Tennessee. He got a chance to start this year. We wouldn't be here without you. 2016, she called and said, man, you got to come to a game. We wouldn't be here without you. You got to come experience this. You know, 107,000 people, you need to be here. So me and my kids went up to a game. His senior year, I went to three of his games. Uh, here in Georgia, up in Tennessee, drove to Alabama to watch him play. But the most significant part of this story is that I went up to Tennessee one more time to his college graduation. Saw him get a degree in communications. His name is Justin Martin. He wore number eight at Tennessee. He started at cornerback for a few years there. He had a chance to work out with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, he was going to make the team. He was balling out. He was punt returning and tore his ACL his rookie year. 
so now he's still trying to, you know, fight his way back into the league. But he has a college degree now, right? He has the opportunity now to help his family, help his community, help whoever he comes into contact with. And, and for me, for my why, I was the difference between one black man going to college instead of going to prison. But I got to tell this part of the story. I got in trouble when I did that. My immediate supervisor in the prosecutor's office said, we're not social services. We're not counselors. We're prosecutors. And our job as prosecutors is to get convictions. Our job as prosecutors is to bring fine money in. I said, are you kidding me? We just changed this kid's life. We just changed his family, his community, all of the positive cycles that we can create now because of the foundation we've just provided him. But then that's when it clicked, the conversation I had with my cousin, when he was like, you will understand it, you'll get it. Knowing, understanding root causes of crime, that we're just trying to survive in, in, in most crimes that are committed, understanding that human element and being able to connect to people in that way, I was like, I got something that I haven't seen anybody else in the system have. And so that planted the seed for how you and I met, which is when I ran for Fulton County DA. I said, the system is never going to change if you don't have people like me who are willing to be the change. And so that's why I ran for DA two years ago, uh, and that's why I'm running for attorney general now. Okay, boom. So you're running for DA. You said that you get together, you're doing all this campaign stuff. I have, I have, I don't know nothing about the the judicial system yeah. in the whole. Like we think we know a few things, and we don't. We know a few things from experience, but we don't understand in the grand scheme of things how these things work and how it moves around. Yeah. So, I had a friend of mine call me. He says he's from our projects. He kind of like like you said, like your girl. He always said, "Parlay, you different. Like you're not like them. You ain't like these people. You different. You need to do this." And I always be like, "Hey, I, I ain't trying to hear all that, bro. I ain't all right. that." So, he told me one time that um, my name came up in the meeting, and they want me to go talk to the um, um, the police chief. I think it was Erica Shields there. Yeah. They wanted to go talk to Erica. They trying to figure out a way to connect with the community. And they was like, I was like, how did my name come up? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was just like, your name came up because saying you're one of the people who the people who the people who the people listen to who can connect with the people. Like they want to talk. And so I, at first I was like, nah. So I called my big bro Trick Trick, and he kind of does some of these things in Detroit already. You know what I'm saying? He comes from a similar background to mine. So I'm asking him. He just He's giving me a whole bunch of knowledge on how these things go and how they work and how this affect this and how this affect this. So I was like, I I I lend the ear to see what they're talking about. Yeah. A few days later, she resigned. Then my 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 um my neighborhood homie's name Mooley. He called me. Mooley say, Parlay, I got a I got a guy who's running for DA. Uh, this is a chain we need. You know what I'm saying? We can get Paul Howard ass up out of. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can call nobody up. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. the, probably, this is the first thing we, I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm, I cut trick, get a trick. What's up? The, the, the DA stuff, how did it look? Because I ain't trying to be no DA. The nigga like, what Paulie got going on in the streets? And so he explained it to me. And I was like, oh, you know what? I see now. Yeah. I see how I can use all this. So when I got the knowledge, I started explaining to people. So I said, you know what, Mooley? I sit down and talk to him. That's our first time meeting. We met um, at uh, Atlanta Breakfast. Breakfast Club. Atlanta yep. Breakfast Club. Uh, shout out to Atlanta Breakfast Club. You know what I'm saying? Simon uh, Croquettes. Yeah, definitely. Nah, I'll bring, bring them on. <laughs> I'll tell you, bring them on. So we sit down, we meet. In our first initial meeting when we sat down, I don't think we talked no politics stuff. You been. Everything was me just trying to understand who you were as a person and what your background was, and how do you think? The same thing, the same thing kind of we, what we're doing now. And because I always told myself, if I'm going to get behind somebody, it has to be somebody who's like me, who I can understand, believe they word and what they're saying, and what their purpose is, and knowing that we can work together. So after we met, I was like, you know what? I really connect with them as a person. And I think that's the first most important thing is when you're trying to do something and represent people, it's being relatable. Know what I'm saying? So then, then I think it was the next day we had a meeting. The next day, yeah, and we had a meeting yep. the next day. The next day we got together, then we start talking. Okay, what do you want to do? How do you want to do the system? How do you what you want to do for the people? And you was letting me know 
all these things that you was trying to do. And I was like, that's smart. And them things will really help the community. And it would help me being able to better help some of the, what we call troublemakers and to, to, to create a balance for them also to let them yeah. know these are the things that's what's going to happen. If you stop doing this, we got people who can help you, uh, who can help you transition from what you're doing now to what you need to be doing. And then they won't just be just because we're just trying to incarcerate you and get a fine and get a fee off you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think that was the reason that I, I, I latched on to you so much that night. We just like, you know what? Let's just have, let's have a March tomorrow. That's about it. it literally happened just that, like that's this. That's how it happened. You know what? Let's just have a march tomorrow. Um, let's just we'll meet at my high school at Doug. We'll walk to Crucial. And then we just put it together. Literally, in one day, made a in flyer that night, dropped the flyer that night, and we get it done. And it's probably like close to 150, 200 people at Doug. Yeah. Know what I'm saying? And then as we started leaving, it, I don't, it started being about close to about 300. And then, it, and then we just walked down Bankhead. And then the crazy part about it is, Going down High Tower, which is H.E. Holmes, it's only a one up, one down. We blocked the whole street off. Yeah. We walking in the middle of the street. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We got the people screaming, no justice, no peace. And we saying this, and it's and it's talking about it is iconic because we're standing with a guy who's who wants to run for DA. At a time in Atlanta, you have you have police shootings. And you have multiple police shootings going around around the country. So you have a guy who's running for DA, and the position of a DA usually usually sides with the police and with the judicial system and how it works already. And we're walking, screaming, no justice, no peace, with the with the a candidate for DA right. and with police leading us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Like that was definitely iconic. Uh TI came out. Dizzy Banks came out. Um, Moot B DJ um, from D4L. Moot B DJ. Um, we was at Iconic Crucial on Bankhead. Shot Boy Fat um, was there. Yep, Shot Boy. Shot Boys. Yeah, Shot the Shot Boys. You know what I'm saying? And then a lot of community people came. You know what I'm saying? Um, one of the um, kids from my project, Jimmy Atchison, uh, lost his life from yep. um, a police situation. His family came. You know what I'm saying? So it was good to see how all these things in the community come together and how it builds and how all these things that have been taught to go against each other coincide to help everybody in the community. I think that that was iconic. So that's why that plaque mean, mean, really means a lot, for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? And that that day is one of my favorite days because – a lot of what you just said, right? When you think of law enforcement and police and black communities, it's always us versus them. And what I really wanted to show, if I would have gotten elected to that position, was that I could be a bridge builder. That's what we need. Like I, I, Trump came in and talked about, let's build walls. Put walls up. You got a wall, you got people on this side, people on that side. When you got a bridge, you can connect. And so... It was. It did mean a lot having the police out there escorters. Right? It did mean a lot to me when I looked, you know, to the left or the right, just the, the folks in the neighborhood who stopped what they was doing, and they was waving at us or taking pictures and saying, "Thank y'all for doing what you're doing." Because in that race, we had George Floyd get killed, Breonna Taylor, uh, and Ahmaud Arbery. All happened up until that point, and I remember one day. I actually went down to Brunswick and protested for uh, Ahmaud Arbery while I was in the race as a candidate. Because I'm, before I'm a candidate, before I'm a lawyer, before I'm any of those things, you see me first. You see a six foot four, two hundred and eighty pound black man. And just last week, this white lady at Houston's, I'm dressed just like this in a suit, tried to hand me her keys and said, "Oh, you look like the valet." And I said, "Well, no, ma'am. I'm Christian Wise Smith running for Attorney General. Oh, you still look like the valet." Right, so I know that people see me before they know anything about me. So in that moment, I said, with the education that I have, with the work experience that I have, with the life experience that I have, let me take this time right now. This is the only 15-minute platform that I get for my life to really be an advocate for trying to bring true equality and true education. Because when things happen with the police, we, t we tend to only think about the police. If they kill somebody, if they, if they beat somebody up, let's hold the police accountable. Let's hold them accountable. It's the DA's job 
to hold them accountable. So I wanted to bring that education out front and say, you know what, I'm running for DA right now, and I want every DA across the country to, one, acknowledge, and then, two, actually be about when police cross the line, we got to hold them accountable. But at the same time, we should be out in the community in positive and engaging ways. We shouldn't just be showing up when crime happens, right? We should be showing up to the football games. We should be coming to Huncho Elite, right, and supporting those kids and encouraging and inspiring those kids. That's what law enforcement should be doing. So I was trying to build those bridges then, and I'm definitely, once I get elected as attorney general, going to do it across the state. I mean, people keep talking about crimes and, and crime and gangs, uh, but you've never had, I would say, a leader from the law enforcement side just come and show up and be visible and be present. Because once you do that, it's just like a parent showing up to a kid's sporting event. Think about how kids act when they see their mom or their dad up in the stands, right? They light up. Like, they want to play harder because they know they got somebody watching them. If we come to our communities in those positive ways, not just because something happened, not just because um, police are, are doing what traditionally police do, but just to say, I'm a part of this community. I want to see you shine. You know how much that would change people's perception and, and perspective about police and law enforcement if you had a leader who wanted them to operate that way? And, and I know I've been talking for a while, but I got to shout you out one more time, too, because we did something else that was symbolic. A couple years ago, we started having these meetings called Take Back the Streets, yeah, where we had gang members who were Crips, who were Bloods. We had lawyers. We had teachers. We had entrepreneurs. We had people who were gun instructors. All in one room. Activists. <laughs> and we all came together, and we all had respectful and and I would say productive and intelligent conversations about how we could all use our different backgrounds and our strengths and our resources to build a community. We need leaders like that. And you opened up the show by saying that you can't gauge politicians. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I hope that everybody is feeling and understanding right now that I'm not a politician. I'm running for a political office. But I'm not a politician. It's a difference. I'm a part of the community. I'm 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 one of you, and and we need more people who are us in these leadership positions because if we don't, we're just gonna keep getting the same things over and over that we've been seeing. No, I totally agree. No, I totally agree. No, you ain't never talking too much. They department. No, we do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You come on here to talk. Hey, let's get. Yeah, it. yeah, we come on here to talk. I just feel like all these things right here is just a show of how they. You can don't have to change the person that you are to be the person that you want to be. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I continue to do the things that I do and um, and, and lead the way I lead to show people that you don't have to change the person that you be. The same way I talk to my kids at football practice, same way I talk to my my mama, same way I talk to my mama, same way I talk to my homies, same way I talk to my homies, same way I talk to you, same way I talk to you, the same way I talk to the people from downtown. In the, in, the, in, in the buildings, in the offices. Nothing changes because people are not going to respect you as a person. They're going to respect your mind. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. You can have many tattoos. You can look how you want to look. As soon as they pass the appearance, people are going to respect your intelligence. So I feel like I say all the time, people have to deal with information. Yeah. Stop feeling in your emotions. Stop dealing with because he said and she said and you trust they word. That's cool. But you have to deal with information. And the more information that you have, it helps you to better make the decision on what you're trying to do. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And I just feel like just get smart. If you out here and you're watching this, please just get smart. Even if you just be like, I ain't going to never use this. It's cool. Just learn it. Understand it to some type of uh, uh, capability to your capability. Just learn anything that you can learn and build it because you never know when you're going to need it. Have the stuff I use now. I just learned it when I was a kid. I never knew I was gonna really have to use this stuff. Right. You see what I'm saying? I I, I never knew I never knew it. But now it's all coming along, and I'm seeing how people skills. How when you go to PE and you talk to people, I'm seeing how that is. I'm seeing how when you got to get up in front of the class and you got to read in front of the class, how that helps you. You see what I'm saying? I'm just not understanding, and I think a lot of people don't go through these situations because they haven't they haven't learned how to learn. If you don't learn how to learn, soon as somebody comes and they start talking to you about something that's right or something that needs change, you're gonna you're gonna get pushed away from you're gonna be like, 
but you're trying to keep knowledge in the, in the sense of the people because nobody has really been taught how to learn. You know what I'm saying? Now nobody want to go to school because people don't want to learn. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid, I used to love going to school because learning is fun. Anytime you learn something, it's fun. Nobody wants to learn no more. That's why I think that podcasts like this, me using my voice for people who do listen to me, who do trust my word, it's important for me to learn as much as I can so when I say something, I'm right. So when I say something, it's accurate. Yeah. So when I speak with somebody, I don't get my background checked and I'm understanding and I'm standing on it so my people can, I, I, I got to be the eyes and the ears and the, and the head for, for my people. You know what I'm saying? So when, we, when, when, when people like you come through and we have this bond and you trying to do things that's really for the community and at the same time serving your, serving your city, uh, state, and the country at the same time, yeah. I think this are, these are the bases that need to be built on for black communities across the nation. Definitely. And having more people who are willing to do what you're doing, right? You've been successful. You've been to the mountaintop. You don't have to be doing this. But people should know that every day you coach football, right? You're out here working with young kids and teenagers to be that inspiration for them, right? Not for them to be you, but for them to see somebody who looks like them, who has accomplished something in life, and say, you know what? It means enough to me that I want to come back to tell you you can too. That's how we start creating more positive cycles. Because we see so much negativity in, in our neighborhoods and in our communities. But once we start to see that positivity, we start to believe that we can be it. So thank you for the work that you do in the communities. Because all you're doing is teaching. Like you just said, you make learning fun. You make learning, learning fun by going out and coaching football. You're teaching them not just how to play football, but you're teaching them about life. And a lot of those kids will remember that for the rest of their lives, just like I remember about Coach Dean, what he did for me when I was – 17 years old, and I'm almost 40 now. I'll never forget that. Like, I'll never forget people like Shaka Zulu taking me to L.A. to meet Clarence Avon, known as the Black Godfather. Black Godfather, man. I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. And so when you make learning fun, when you show the value in it, right, everybody wants to, to get something for nothing, I think. I think everybody wants to instantly become famous. Everybody wants to instantly become rich. Nobody wants to grind for it. No more. Nope. Nobody wants to be patient for it. I mean, I went to school for nine years before I became an attorney. Then I was an attorney for 10 years before I got to sit in a seat like this. That's 19 years worth of grinding before y'all knew who Christian Wise Smith was. So everything doesn't happen overnight. Everything doesn't happen instantaneously, but when you get people like you who come into your life, value that. Listen, I listen. You call me a mentor. I look at you the same way because you've achieved things in the business world that I haven't and that I don't know many people who have. That's why anytime that I get the opportunity to talk to Shaka Zulu, I'm always listening or, or Ray Daniels or my attorney uh, mentors, folks who have been attorneys for, for a really long time. Uh, I listen. Or, or even my good friend, who you also know, Richard McDaniel, who rich, big rich. Hey, you know th this guy has, you know, worked on President Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Mm -hmm. He's worked on, you know, Hillary Clinton's Clinton. 2016 campaign. He worked with Senator Doug Jones, got him elected down in Alabama. I mean, this guy's worked on the mountaintop in terms of politics, and he comes from a neighborhood just like we. Y'all went to Doug West side. together. That boy from that Westside, Doug High, man. But, you know, I say all that to say is there is value in learning. There's value in listening. Then there's value in being your authentic self. I mean, I, I appreciate you for saying that because we see all of this stuff on IG and TikTok and social media, and we want to be like the other folks that we're seeing. But we don't know the grind that they put in behind it. Like we always hear Soldier Boy saying he, he was the first to do something, but Soldier Boy was grinding before he he blew up. He didn't just drop a video one day and just went like that. Like he put in work before he got to where he was. You put in work with, with Franchise Boy, Ti, Shaka, all these people. You didn't see the grind beforehand. I remember telling Ludacris one day. I went to a concert back in 2000. 
Outkast is, is my favorite of all time. Outkast did the Stank Love Tour. Luda opened up for them. Nobody knew who Luda was. He came out and performed sweatpants, no shirt, no jewelry. Just you, just, you could see the hunger. You could see that that energy. You could see well, that was grind. This. this was in 2000. Okay. Before his first album, Back for the First Time, came out. So people need to understand it, it, it's okay to work. It's okay to grind. It's okay to put your mind to something and, and, and figure out your why, figure out your passion, and go do it and not try to be like everybody else that you've seen. Okay, let's do this right here. Let's break it down to what the Attorney General does okay. and how the Attorney General helps, helps the community in, in a positive way. Um, uh, tell us what was the first reason that made you say you want to do attorney general? So after I ran for DA in 2020, we did not win that, that race, but we made some new ones. We won. <laughs> we won. We won them, but we won. Right. So we got, uh, I was the youngest person in the race. I had significantly weight, significantly less money than the other candidates in the race. And nobody really knew who I was. But we got, it was almost 25% of the votes. It was almost 40,000 votes. And when you break those numbers down, it was a lot of first-time voters, a lot of 18 to 25-year-olds, and a lot of black men who were registered to vote, but they had just chosen to sit out more recent elections. So that showed me that we could prove to the, Democratic Party in Georgia and nationally that we can tap into a voter pay, voter base that the Democrats have struggled to capture because I was myself transparent, open, honest, uh, not just about winning the office, but about motivating and inspiring our people, you know, for that equality, for justice, for that we could be achieved more. So I started getting a bunch of calls from a bunch of people I don't know. Hey, run for this, run for that. This would be a good fit for you. But I really wanted to take my time, talk to my wife, pray about it, um, go through the pros and cons of, of what the next step would be. I didn't want to run for something just to run for it or just to try to build a name. And so it just we just kept coming to Attorney General. Because even though the job is not exactly the same as a DA, um, a, a lot of the, the Attorney General's job is in law enforcement. You're the top a law enforcement officer of the state, right? The attorney general does prosecute certain crimes uh, like human trafficking, uh, like consumer protection. Uh, there was a bill uh, in, legislation, in, in the legislature this past, or two weeks ago, uh, the governor wants to give the attorney general, excuse me, the governor wants to give the attorney general a power to prosecute gangs. And so being the top law enforcement officer for the state, that means, again, I've talked about building bridges. You have those bridges to every DA across the state. You have the bridges to every ch chief of police across the state. So everything that I campaign for wanting to do in Fulton County, you can now, now I can do that across the state, state of Georgia. Georgia. Right. That makes sense. It, felt, it really kind of fell in line then. Yeah. It really kind of fell in line. So listen, let me tell you all this, listen. This don't mean that Y'all lads gonna be able to do shit and get them. <laughs> this is not what the shit mean. No. What it means is though, for the ones who do fall in them cracks, for the ones who do make mistakes, for the ones who do really trying to provide for their family and just having the wrong thought prices because of their environment, you have somebody who's more willing to understand your situation and to have a better outlook on giving y'all people who deserve a better chance a better chance. Let me say it like that. You know what I'm saying? So it ain't so much of just because of where you're from and, and what color you are and how old you are, you know what I'm saying, and, and what your family done been through, you know what I'm saying, really providing opportunities. And I think that when, when people in our community have those type of opportunities, you have more kids like, uh, what's your kids who went to uh, Tennessee again? Justin Martin. With Justin Martin. Yeah. You have more kids like Justin. And I just think about Justin's situation, how many more kids he'll be able to touch. You know what I'm saying? And people like to say, and people like to want to do numbers and math in their mind all the time. It happens all the time when it comes to stuff like that. Well, you can't save everybody. Well, you're right. But guess what? If you can save one person, that person can save one person. Yep. So if you and that person said one person, two is going to go to four, four is going to go to eight because it's going to double. 
Eight is going to turn to 16. 16 is turning to 34. 34 is 62, 128. And it keeps, and it keeps Keep on going, going like yeah. that. And over time, what happens is you create the knowledge for people to understand how to do things and what to do because you have people speaking on it more in a positive way. You know what I'm saying? I have never heard many people in my projects talk about voting had than I have in these previous years. And I feel like the reason why is because you have more people talking about it, talking about it, how to affect us, and talking how really easy it is to vote and the things to vote for. Now, the more knowledge that we have, we like, oh, you know what? That what you do? Oh, we finna go do it too. We wanna yeah. voice our opinion. Oh, you wanna have a voice? You wanna have an opinion? Go vote. Oh, the, oh, that's how we have an opinion? So now I wanna do that same thing for my community and show them that Chris Wise is a person that's gonna speak for the community. He's gonna do his job. He's gonna do what he's supposed to do, just like he did when he was a DA. You know what I'm saying? But it's, there's going to be room for opportunities. There's going to be room for people to understand the mistakes they've been through and their wrongdoings and have an opportunity to change it when usually you don't have an opportunity to change it. And I think that one point right there means more than anything else for anybody who comes from a community like ours. So speaking of opportunities, so when I get elected within the first 100 days, I'm going to create a community outreach division through the AG's office. And one of the things we're going to focus on is, is breaking the, the school to prison pipeline. And we do that by creating a summer internship program through the AG's office, just giving kids opportunities, right, that they don't have right now. And once you do that, that'll be a game changer. You mentioned, you know, me being in office, that's, that, that, is, that doesn't mean that it's like a free-for-all, right? But, but I will mention one of the things that I want to do Marijuana, weed, whatever you want to call it, it's still illegal in the state of Georgia. Uh, and I don't think that it should be. I think it should be legalized here like it is being legalized in many other places across the country. Uh, you're starting to see some states actually issue pardons for people who have marijuana convictions in the past. Because a marijuana conviction on your record, I mentioned it earlier with Justin, you can't get money to go to school. You can't get certain loans. Some apartments won't rent to you when they do your background check and they, and they see that conviction. So so many people hurting right now with those type of what I would call nonviolent, low-level uh, offenses on their record that I want to go in and do something about. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that I have the power as attorney general to, to remove or clean records. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that our approach to the nonviolent offenses, the marijuana offenses, if we take money and resources and manpower away from those kind of crimes and we put resources and counselors in place like a situation like Justin, then we can shift some of those resources and manpower and money to trying to fight this more violent and serious crime that we all care about. Violent crime, if, if you get carjacked, you don't care if you're black or white, but if you're rich or poor, if you're Republican or Democrat, you just want to be safe. And you want to know that you have people out there trying to keep you safe. Crime doesn't care what color you are or, or, or if you're gay or straight or any of that. And so that's I want people to start to reimagine what justice looks like. Because so far, history has shown that our country uh, has disproportionately negatively impacted brown and black communities in terms of the justice system. You go back to 86 when we were during the, the crack epidemic and the war on drugs. You know, crack cocaine was sentenced at a level five times higher than powder yeah, cocaine. Yeah. And that's because black people well, primarily used it. And the, the white people was on the power. Exactly. Yeah. And so we, we've always had this uh, inequality in terms of the justice system. And what I want to do is bring more equality, give people more opportunities to live better lives. And we've seen it work in places. In Cobb County, uh, we have a, a black DA, Flynn Brody, who people call a progressive. And Flynn is doing things to give people more opportunities for the low-level and nonviolent offenses to focus more on the violent crimes. Flynn, Flynn Brody's office prosecuted the people who killed Ahmaud Aubrey and got that conviction. So that's a perfect example of what I'm saying. They've helped people where they can help them, but they go hard on the crimes like that that we care about, where we really want to see that justice take place. And so we can bring that kind of mentality across the state, and we'll see everything improve. If you're safer, you'll see people 
live better lives. If people are living better lives, they'll make more money. School systems go up. Property values go up if crime goes down. Crime goes down if people have more opportunities to make money and provide for their lives. So I want to bring that kind of mentality to the AG's office and take it across the state. And um, I, I want to give some free legal advice, right, to everybody watching this since I was talking about marijuana. I saw it a lot during my career as a prosecutor. If the police pull you over, it could be for you not wearing a seatbelt, your headlight being out, speeding, whatever reason. If they walk up to your car and they smell the odor of marijuana, that gives them the right to search your car. So we, we all, uh, most people have heard of the Fourth Amendment. The Fourth Amendment has to deal with searches and seizures, uh, which require warrants. But there are warrantless exceptions to the Fourth Amendment, and one of them is the vehicle exception. So whatever you get pulled over for, if if you know you have it in your car, if you know you've been smoking in your car, just don't have it in your car, right? Don't give the police a reason or an opportunity to be able to take what could be a, I would say, lower-level traffic stop and escalate it into something else because they are allowed to search your car if they smell it. Yeah. Stuff like that, right? People don't know that. And so I think that it's our job in law enforcement, one, to let people know. I don't think you should be able to just, uh, I got you, or, or, or keep, keep, keep people at a disadvantage because they're uneducated. I think that our people should have access to the information, all, all people, right? You, you should know what the laws, what the rules are. And that's another thing that I want to do as attorney general is just make the information free. Like, let everybody know what's available, what you can and can't do, what you, what you shouldn't be doing so that we can – again, engage with you in a more positive um, and, and, and encouraging way so that you just don't see us as, oh, it's us versus them. No, for real, put your up on guy. You got, sometimes people need to be informed sometimes to, to, to re-sharpen yeah. what, what they're doing or how they're doing it, man. No, man, I, I think this great, man. Um, I, I don't think it's nobody better, you know what I'm saying, to be able to do this, to be able to lead these people. Uh, I, I just feel like People don't usually come through like this. You know what I'm saying? And we in Atlanta, and you're really not even from here, just coming here trying to continue to help make a change here. I think that's great. You know what I'm saying? So all of my people from Atlanta, all my people in Georgia, he's definitely down here trying to make a difference, man. And the people who try to make a difference in your life is the people that you need to connect to, especially the people who are not asking for something from you and they're going to benefit off whatever you're trying to get, have going on. You know what I'm saying? Meaning is... Hey, do this for me right here, man. But you know, later on, you got to do this for me. you got to do this for me if I do this for you. No, he's really trying to help people get a better life and create things. And you already have people in your place in situations who don't want to help you. They're gonna see you down the road. They don't care what you got going on. They don't care what you did. They're not gonna go hear what you did. And if you don't have videos, a lot of these situations, it's gonna be your words against somebody else. So what better to have somebody to understand your situation and make sure that you're spoken on in the way that you need to be spoken on. Uh, tell everybody where they can follow you at, Chris. IG at Christian Y. Smith. Uh, Twitter at Chris Y. Smith. The campaign website, www.ysmith4ga.com. That's Y. Smith, the number 4GA. And you'll see me around the state. You know, we're about to start moving around. We want to come see you. We want to come talk to you. We're not just going to put things on TV, uh, send you stuff in the mail. Like, I want to come meet as many people across the state as I can. I want to have that connection. I want you to know who your attorney general is. I think uh, if you ask most people on the street now who the attorney general is, they can't answer that question. And so I don't ever want that to be uh, the case with me. I always want you to, you know, see me out in the community, know that I'm accessible, know that I'm here uh, for everybody. And I just got to say thank you, man. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for being, you know, a good friend, a good father, good husband, a good coach good activist, uh, and a good entertainer, man. I used to listen to uh, one of your songs in particular when I was in law school back in 2007, uh, the song you had with, with Wheezy, with Lil Wayne, yeah. uh, called The One. Yeah. So, yeah, man, appreciate you, I man. Appreciate it, appreciate you. I appreciate you. Glad you being here. Everything you haven't had a need to, I feel like God brings energy together. You know what I'm saying? 
and, and, and when great energy comes together, it builds more great energy and it attracts more great energy. So I'm just glad to be in this position, glad for you to be here, dog. You know what I'm saying? And we got we, we still trailblazing. We got a lot of more stuff to do. We got, we got work bigger to do. visions. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? Let's take this first step so we hey. can take the, the, the next step of many. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. With that being said, it's your boy Palais. We in the apartment with Palais. Meet me in the apartment.